When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let's ride. For the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What is going on, everyone? And thank you for listening to another week of the Incline Dodgers. Your World Series champion Dodgers are off to a 14-4 and start. And you'll definitely take that because they have the best record in Major League Baseball, of course. But I wanted to start with Jake Ryder on this because the offense is not doing too well these days. They just came off a 1-0 victory against the Seattle Mariners. They split that series. Corey Seager drove in the only run of that game. But Jake, what's going on with the offense it's so insane to me that the Dodgers are 14 and four and they're not even playing well. Like they're, they, they have a, a couple of bad injuries with, you know, Betts has been out of the lineup a few days. Bellinger has been, been injured pretty much since the beginning of the season. Um, but yeah, the Dodgers are not swinging the bat particularly well. And the lineups that they're putting out there are a little, you know, suspect. I mean, when you've got the bottom of the order with Pollock and Rayleigh and, McKinstry and Rios and um, Gavin Lux who's, who's injured, but like that bottom of the order is just, is just kind of weak. And um, Corey Seager though, like you mentioned, you know, coming through, he's been coming through pretty much, you know, all season with runners in scoring position. He's hitting 368 with an OPS over a thousand. Max Muncy is hitting 389 with an OPS over a thousand with runners in scoring position. Um, and Justin Turner and Chris Taylor and Zach McKinstry. And those five are the only ones that are really coming through in key spots. The rest of the guys are just not. Uh, and we'll get into the, the splits a little later, but yeah, it's a little, it's a little concerning, um, thus far, uh, how they've, they've just not capitalized on, on these opportunities. David Rosenthal, what's been your takeaway with this Dodgers offense or team thus far? Yeah, it's interesting, Kevin, uh, because they have such a strong record, but they're not even close to playing their playing up to their potential offensively. Uh, they're not in the top 10 in hard hit percentage or in barrel percentage, uh, which normally indicates, you know, you're hitting the ball hard and far and they're, you know, it's going to work out for you. But the reason they've been able to win these games is because they're getting on base. Uh, they are th- second in, in major league baseball and on base percentage, and they're third in weighted on base percentage. So while they're not necessarily hitting the ball, well, they are still getting on base. And that is what, that is what has led to the scoring opportunities uh, they may not be hitting a ton of home runs, uh, 
you know, but their ability to get on base paired with, you know, sporadic hitting from Corey Seager and Max Muncy getting on base and basically an MVP campaign so far from Justin Turner uh, is what has led to the Dodgers success offensively, albeit not tremendous success, but good enough to get the job done. Yeah. Justin Turner might be the best bat in this lineup right now. 381 batting average to kick it off with five home runs, 16 RBIs. He's never done anything like that in his career for the Dodgers. So at his age, this is amazing. Just the fountain of youth that Turner's found. But I want to talk about this team against lefties because it's bad. And it, part of it, I think, has to do with Pollock and Smith not doing their part. But over the last six games for the Dodgers, they're hitting 171 against left-handed pitchers with seven home runs and 26 runs scored. There's only one team doing worse, and that's the New York Yankees. Yeah, and if you take a look at what their numbers are versus left-handed starters overall, they're hitting 195 with a 651 OPS. I mean, it's it's, and I think I even mentioned it to you guys over text, but it just doesn't seem to make very much sense to me how year in and year out over the last few years, the Dodgers have not been able to hit lefties. And, the, and we've seen a bunch of different players on this, on this team, yep. uh, on these rosters. So it doesn't really make much sense why, why they can't get it done. The guys that are supposed to be good at hitting left-handed pitching like AJ Pollock and Will Smith are just not doing that. The guy we had last year that did it well was, was Kike Hernandez. He's no longer on the team, but even he wasn't that, you know, that great last year uh, in, in those situations. We just have, I, I just think that we have too many lefties on this team and the right-handed bats are not performing when we need them to against left-handed pitching. That is just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, unfortunately, Sheldon Noisy's off to a bad start as well. Oh, for four with three strikeouts. And that's definitely would be a catalyst if he could get it going, but that's yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and also like if you're if you're putting Will Smith in the middle of this lineup and unfortunately he's off to a pretty pretty bad start with runners in scoring position. He's only hitting one for 13 uh, yeah. with runners in scoring position, which is an 077 batting average, which translates to not good. And he's one for 20 in general with runners on. So he's got to pick it up. I know he got robs by Dylan Moore. That could have been two runs right there. That was some serious bad luck. So I'll give him a break on that because anyone should have made that hit. But yeah, other than that, if you're going to be batting cleanup, you need to start driving runs in. Yeah, this is a tale as old as time. It doesn't matter who's out there. The Dodgers are might probably will struggle against a left-handed pitcher. And I don't know. I honestly can't tell you why. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but look, when it comes down to it, I'm not too concerned uh, because this team has shown that they can, when it matters most, that they can perform. Uh, I think the one most confusing uh, aspect of, of these struggles versus left-handers uh, is Mookie Betts. Uh, you fast, you, you go back to 2018. Uh, this dude hit 368 with a 1.207 OPS against left-handed hitters. And then, you know, every single year since then, 2019, 271 with an 839 OPS. Last year, 200 average, 531 OPS. And this year, obviously small sample size, he's only two for 11. So I think, you know, I don't know what it is, uh, frankly, with, with bets and left-handed hitters, but, you know, being the second best player in baseball, I think that is what he's going to focus on. And he's going to, he's going to be the one to figure it out. And if anyone can figure it out, it'll be him. It'll certainly be him before, you know, we're going to count on guys like noisy and, and sadly AJ Pollock. 
But yeah, I mean, there, I mean, there are, like I mentioned, there are guys that are performing with runners, runners in scoring position and guys that we don't normally would rely so heavily on, but because of the injuries to this team, we've had to, which are Zach McKinstry. He's hitting 429 with runners in scoring position <laughs> yeah. with a 900 OPS. I mean, he has come through in so many, not, not only in so many situations, but in late key situations that we either needed insurance run or a go-ahead run. He's been awesome. And also Chris Taylor's gotten off to a really great start. Yeah, Justin Turner is probably our best bat against lefties. Thank God he's hitting 391 with a 500 on base. And there were actually years in the past where Turner couldn't hit lefties. I think 2016 was one of those years, but Turner is just on fire. He is probably the MVP of this team right now or Corey Seager. But I want to talk about the Mookie Betts situation. Thankfully, yesterday... Dave spoke to the media and they're optimistic that Betts will be in the lineup against the Padres Thursday night. But that pitch by Montero was one of the most malicious Bush league things I've seen against the Dodgers in quite some time. I don't think the intent was to hit Mookie Betts per se, but I do think it was a retaliation to warn him off because of what happened to Ty France earlier in that game. When may accidentally hit him, you could see the catcher setting his mid up way inside and unfortunately, Mookie's forearm was in the way because I think they meant to pitch to him inside to kind of back him up. And Montero, you can suck it because that was uncalled for. I don't know. I I I don't think I don't think he's trying to do anything in that situation. It was a late late game situation, and it's a tight ball game. You're not you're not you know you don't want to put Mookie bets on base. Like yeah, there's no way. Yeah, he was setting up inside, and maybe the pitch got away from him. But the, there's absolutely no intent with that pitch you're is this is the ninth inning i believe in a one or two run game uh you're not putting mookie bets on so you can face Corey seager with a man on base absolutely not there was no reaction by montero he didn't look guilty he didn't look like he felt bad whatsoever yeah i, I still- it's it's too bad though that that you know, obviously when you get hit by a pitch, it's a bit of a freak accident or or as or as kevin says it's intentional but um there's not much you can do about those types of injuries, but like with bets and his, his back stiffness as well and, and getting hit here, it's just, it's a little um, concerning so far this season. I, you know, I, I kind of w- wish that like, cause last year we didn't have to worry about Mookie bets. Like he was just, you know, as healthy and we depended upon, you can depend on him. Um, but when you don't, when you don't have him and Bellinger in the lineup, I mean, that's why you get these, these numbers that we're, that we're getting with runners in scoring position, because they can't knock in runs if they're not getting those opportunities, if they're not on the field. So, you know, yes, yes, they can survive. The Dodgers can survive without one of them for a while, but both of them, that's tough. Yeah, no kidding. And thankfully the defense has been doing its part in the outfield. Don't know if I can say the same on the infield. They've been a little rough at times, Corey Seager made an air that was costly. Chris Taylor made a huge air that was costly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's going doing, on? Tighten Muncy's it up. Doing fine, thankfully. But L- let me ask you guys this question: Do you think? I mean, this this could be a stupid question, but like, do you think because the Dodgers are putting these guys in different positions pretty much every game now that it's that it's sort of messing with their ability to be solid? I mean, Corey Seager obviously plays shortstop every day, but 
I mean, you know, like guys like Chris Taylor and McKinstry, who's, who's having to kind of figure out right field without bets in there. I mean, it's tough for these guys. Uh, we know that they can play multiple, multiple positions, but when you're asking them to do that every single day in a starting role, because remember McKinstry and Chris Taylor are supposed to be guys coming off the bench. You know, Pollock, Betts, and Bellinger are supposed to be the guys out there in the outfield. I mean, that's how it's set up. So when you have these guys coming in day in and day out, playing at a different spot every day, it could mess up defensive rhythm. Yeah, I mean, it could. Uh, but look, Chris Taylor's been been playing all around the diamond his entire career with the Dodgers. So in terms of, in terms of their uh, Chris Taylor side of things, no. Look, I, I saw the error, uh, obviously, that Chris, Ter- Chris Taylor made. Uh, and that, that was a bad bounce. That was a weird bounce. Uh, he was shaded in the shift kind of up the middle. So I think that's just, you know, those things happen. It's 162 game season. No one's going to have, you know, a perfect fielding percentage. Uh, so I, you know, I, I'm not making a huge deal out of this. If anything, if there's one guy to be concerned about his defense, it is Corey Seager, but that's been the case for, you know, the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, Chris Taylor overall is a great defender. Obviously losing Kike, he seemed to be the master of playing any position or any, any time. He mm-hmm. almost never made an error. Obviously, Chris Taylor made a costly error in the World Series last season. He was playing second one game. Then they had to move him to center field because Bellinger's back was sore. So I do think it could throw him off at times. So, you know, but it's rare. So I think you got to just kind of shoot your shot because at, at the majority of the times, Taylor's going to succeed and you'll have occasional flukes. But that's that's most players. So it is what it is. I will say this though, the fact that the Dodgers are 14 and four and we're talking about all their deficiencies right now and any of these deficiencies would cripple any other franchise, but because the Dodgers are so stacked and the, and their depth is on display pretty much every single game, that's why you have a 14 and four record. Not to mention the starting pitching has been immaculate and the bullpen has been really solid. And what's even crazier about that is those four losses you can go back and and think that this is why they lost opening aside from opening day that that performance was just bad but the other three the other three losses you got a kenley jansen blown save you have a Corey seager error that basically cost them the game and then you have a chris taylor error that basically cost them the game if if those things don't happen they have one loss on the entire season without hitting without hitting well but yeah, pitching wise, I don't know if we still want to go into hitting, but I, I would like to talk about Clayton Kershaw for a second whenever we get a chance. I think it's pitching time. All right. So Kershaw, I got some numbers for you guys. Obviously, you know, the opening day start was not something to write home about, but on the year he's three and one with a 2.19 ERA, 24 strikeouts and 24 innings. If you take out the opening day start, that's three starts. He's gone 19 innings, given up one run, 22 strikeouts, two walks since opening day. But the thing I want to highlight this year that's different from last year is his slider usage. In 2020, he used his slider uh, 39.9% of the time. This year, he's using it 46.6% of the time. And you pair that with his fastball usage, last year 41%, this year 37%. There's a success right there. His slider has been his money pitch this year. Obviously, curveball is going to be his best pitch no matter what it is. But the slider is why Clayton Kershaw is having success. We've talked about it extensively on previous episodes, how even if he doesn't have the velocity, if he tinkers with the slider velocity when he doesn't have his fastball velocity, it's still effective. And he's been he's been pounding, pounding the inside part of the zone to uh, right-handed hitters with his slider, backdoor sliders, everything. And that, is, that has given him tremendous success this year. 
and he's putting on a Cy Young campaign so far. Yeah, there are four, I'll go four possible Cy Young pitchers right now in this lineup. Trevor Bauer's off to a 2 0 start. He should be 4 0 for what it's worth. He has a 240. He hasn't, he hasn't left. He, every time he's left the game, the Dodgers have had the lead. Exactly. Yep. 36 strikeouts over 26 innings with a 242 ERA. Walker Buehler's 1 0 with a 2 ERA. And I saw some people online thinking that he's struggling. <laughs> if you're struggling with a 2 ERA, I can't wait to see what he does later this season. I know there's some, there are some people curious why his fastball velocity is down. It's still averaging 95, which to me, if you learn the routine with Walker Bueller, he's not an April pitcher. He just continues to build himself up as the season progresses. And I don't see it changing this year. I'll take this. I'll take the start from Bueller thus far, because I'm sure it's going to come where he has one of his blow up games. Cause that just comes every April or early May. So Watch out for that. Julio Urias is a star right now. He is 3-0 with a 2.81 ERA. He's coming off a career-high 11 strikeouts against the Seattle Mariners. He is just on a tear right now. And I think the big thing with Urias is the changeup usage. He's getting a lot of soft contact and whiffs with that, as well as just mastering that slurve. He no longer throws the slider like he used to. He now throws that slider curveball which is just really deceptive and getting a lot of hitters off balance and his velocity. I saw him up to 96 yesterday. I had to remember Urias throwing that hard ever during a regular season start. And then of course, Dustin may one and one, 293 ERA 22 strikeouts over 15.1 innings pitched. So it looks like may is also generating a lot more whiffs. That was kind of something we were curious about early in his career, but he's generating strikeouts himself. Yeah, and if the defense played a little better behind him, it would be a different story. I think that um, Julio Urias definitely gets slept on, not only by the rest of Major League Baseball, but by Dodgers fans as well. I mean, he's not one of those attention-grabbing, you know, frontline starters that you want to talk about, like a Bueller, Kershaw, or Bauer, or even Dustin May with his fiery red hair. I mean, it, it he is like a silent assassin out there. He was just carving up the Seattle Mariners uh, lineup the other day. And I thought he could have gone the the distance. He's never done that in his career, which makes sense because the Dodgers have kind of held him back a little bit in the beginning of his career, but man, career high 11 strikeouts. The guy was dominating. You mentioned that slurve pitch. That is nasty, just nasty, nasty. And that changeup is unhittable. I mean, I am so happy for Julio Urias because last year was sort of like his, quote unquote debut as a Dodger starter. And there were some, you know, issues in the first inning that we all talked about, but the three of us all said to our credit, like for as good as Urias is, that is not going to be the narrative the rest of his career. He's just too good. There was no real reason why he was struggling so much in the first inning. I thought it was a complete fluke. And now you see what's going on. He's completely dominating any lineup that comes in his path. And he was, just untouchable the other day against the Mariners. Yeah. My, my one take on Urias. And then I want to talk about Bueller for just a minute. Uh, He, ever since the 2020 playoffs, he carries himself like he's the best pitcher in baseball. Uh, The, the demeanor, the confidence on the mound. uh, You can see it. He, he, he goes out up there knowing he's going to get hitters out. And we hadn't seen that from him until, until last year in the playoffs. And it is, awesome to see. I mean, he is walking with confidence. He's doing K struts. He knows he's getting these guys out. 
uh, and and it's you know it's completely contributing to his success. He is a completely I don't know what clicked in his mind, uh, but it's like he woke up one day and just decided I'm that dude and I'm gonna get you out. Uh, and it's you know it's pretty awesome to see. But on the Bueller train, I do want to give you know a little bit of light into. Uh, you know, he hasn't been as sharp as we've seen him before. Yes, he has the two ERA. Uh, his expected ERA, however, is 4.74. Uh, his FIP is 3.35, and his expected FIP is 4.02. So what does that mean? Technically, he's been pitching into some good luck. Uh, and, you know, he's been good. He's kept the Dodgers in games. He hasn't surrendered a ton of earned runs, obviously. Uh, but could he be sharper? Yes. Uh, you know, we're going to see Bueller get sharper if I had to pick one guy on the Dodgers roster who I could not be less worried about, even if he gave up 10 runs for the, the next two months, it would be Walker Bueller because once that postseason starts, it's a different story for him. Exactly. The bullpen is doing their thing too. They've been pretty strong. They had a couple of hiccups. Corey Knable blew a save. That was unfortunate against the Padres, but Kenley Jansen, what the heck throwing 97 now? I don't know what's going on in 2021 with Jansen, but I mean, one game, he can't throw a strike to save his life. He's throwing 90. It's all over the plate. Now you give him two days rest. And I know Jake's the biggest advocate on this. Now he's throwing 97 completely. And it seems like he's throwing like a sinker or four seamer more now and less dependent on the cutter, occasional slider. So he's becoming more of a pitcher. That one, that one cutter to Kyle Lewis was just devastating the thing yeah. moved like un- just unbelievable uh movement on that pitch but yeah i mean i'm the biggest proponent of giving kenley jansen as much rest as he needs i think he knows that he's getting that rest and i think he knows that once he goes out there on the mound it's it's go time and it's time to empty that tank and i love that that is that that is what we know is a recipe for success we know that when you when you put him out there in back-to-back games. He doesn't do well. The command is not there. The velocity is not there, but you give him a few days off. Keep in mind, he's 33 years old. You know, I mean, he, he is, you know, an older pitcher. So we got to treat him that way. And when you do, you get the results. And as I, you know, I said many, many times before, this is what you got to do with Kenley Jansen and boom, you've got, you've got a dominant closer um, you know, once every two games or once every three games. And the Dodgers bullpen has enough closers in there to get the job done. We mentioned Knable, unfortunate against the Padres. That was a really bad blown save. But typically he's been great. Trinan's been great. Uh, Victor Gonzalez, any one of those guys can shut the door in the ninth. You don't need Kenley out there every night. And I think the Dodgers have finally realized that. Yeah, I don't want to beat a dead horse because we've talked about this and I completely agree. Uh, but I will say uh, it is going to be a big boost to the bullpen to get Gratter all back. Uh, he's going to be able to mix in, you know, the seventh or eighth or ninth innings, give some other guys, you know, some less usage. Uh, you don't have to rely on Knable and trying and every time you have a one or two run lead, uh, you know, his first outing in San Diego wasn't great, but that's what it was his first outing of the year. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to, he's going to be a big boost to the pen. I love, the Dave, I love right that now. Dave Roberts threw him into the fire there in San Diego. That, yeah, that, I respected I agree. that. But you know what? You said Dave Roberts. So let me let me get on this rant. Dave Roberts needs to get ejected. These umpires have been disgusting. I'm tired of this. 
Go out there, go yell at Tom Hallion, Mr. Ass in the Jackpot umpire, get in his face, get thrown out, get a, make a statement to your players, and, and that's it. You got Bob Guerin to handle the rest of the game. I'm tired of nice guy Dave. I really am. He needs to get his ass out there and get thrown out. It's ridiculous. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. I, it's got a he. Maybe the pro, the pro far thing, which I know we're going to talk about later. With no, Danny, but... I'm talking about the, the strike zone. It's he's had ample opportunities to just be like, you know what? This is ridiculous. Get in their face. Get tossed. See you tomorrow, Dave. We we'll handle the rest of the game for you. Light a fire under these guys. Jansen hasn't, hit, Jansen hasn't hit 97 in a game since 2017, for what it's worth. So that's a cool little stat. Interesting. Yeah. Pre-regular <laughs> season 2017 also. And with, and with Gratterall, I need to start seeing him miss some bats. I've never seen a pitcher throw 102 and not fool a single hitter. But we have to be patient with him because this is his spring training right now. Because he didn't pitch in spring training. So this is going to be the next five or six outings. It'll be spring for Gratterall. I need to see more movement on that slider and that fastball that I just mentioned. I know Robert said he views him as a high leverage guy, so we got to see it. Here's a question. Yeah, go ahead. I was no, I was going to change subjects, but go ahead. Just real quick, I was just going to say it's nice that Gratterall has Dustin May on his team uh, because Dustin May has experience of not being able to miss bats at 101 and then taking it the next year and missing bats at 101. So those two need to connect. Yes. Here's a question. Are we ever going to see Joe Kelly? Like, what's going on with him? <laughs> forgot about him. I already forgot about him. I don't know what the hell's the, he's going got, on. He's got two murals in Los Angeles, and he's pitched <laughs> yeah. zero games this year. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the biggest anti-Joe Kelly guy there is. I just don't see how there's room for him on this team. Like, you go up and down the bullpen right now, and Dennis Santana, he deserves to be there. Scotty, Scotty Ice Alexander, has been pitching well. Alexander is doing good. He yeah. deserves to be there. I don't see where there's room for Joe Kelly right now. Who and do David you get Price is pitching and, well as well. And yeah, Tony that was nice to see. Tony Gonsolin is on the IL, and you have to get him in there before Kelly. Well, I, think, I don't think injury. Gonsolin has even resumed throwing yet, which is kind of concerning. Well, neither has Kelly, but my, I'm just saying, like, if they're on the same yeah. timetable, Gonsolin gets the priority. Yeah, I, don't, I truly – we haven't had a Joe Kelly update in forever. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, he might not pitch for them this season. He could be a DFA candidate. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. So some other things around baseball. One of them is Vince Scully was gifted a World Series ring by the Dodgers. Definitely love seeing that. That was cool. Also, Kike. Kike yeah, got Kike his, Kike ring, got his well. ring. But why are you wearing Red Sox stuff, Kike? That is. I mean, what do you want him to do? <laughs> Just wear, don't wear any Red Sox stuff. Just wear. I mean, I'm pretty sure he got it like at the stadium. So yeah, it looked like he was in the dugout. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Alex Alex Bregman is on the list right now for biggest like losers of the week appearance wise. He's rocking cornrows right now. I saw that, and it's Ooh. disgusting. And it's not helping the Houston Astros, who have now lost nine out of ten. And they've no fallen way. to last place in the AL West. But noted joke reporter Michael Schwab said they were the best team in baseball about two weeks ago. Yeah, five games in yeah. when the A's were probably like 0-5 and, and now they're in first. Yeah. yeah they, they lost to the Rockies today, didn't they? Yep. They did. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, Tadis Jr. Didn't talk about this, but I'll bring it up now. He made a comment saying that in, I think it was after the first game, he was like, this feels like a World Series atmosphere. Tadis Jr., 
You've never even advanced past the NLDS. How would you know what the World Series feels like? Yeah, I think he was being uh, a little hyperbolic there. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, he was saying, you know, this is what I would imagine a World Series game to feel like. But you're right. You know, you can't really say that unless you've been, unless you've actually been there. Dave Roberts made the comment, I think that that we have, or was it? Uh, no, it was Justin Turner that we have basically 19 World Series games with the Padres. Did say that, and I wish he never did. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I give Tatis a pass. I, I like the kid. I don't know what's going on with him. We'll dive more into it in a few minutes with Danny, but he's off to a bad start. And obviously injuries have to play a factor in that, but the defense is just out of control. And it's yeah, not it's so much really the bad. range, it's the arm. He just does not throw accurate. Yeah, well, we can talk to uh, Danny Vietti about that here in a minute. Is there anything else around Major League Baseball or Dodgers-wise you guys wanted to discuss before we move on to the interview or the, the pregame pre-show? No, I just think it's I just think it's remarkable that the the start that the Dodgers have had, and like we said, they haven't really played up to their full potential and aren't fully healthy. So that's a scary thought if you are in the NL West or the rest of Major League Baseball that this team is you know has the best record in baseball or close to it. And they, they're not even at their full potential yet. Completely agree. Uh, the Dodgers could be 17-1 and one without Cody Bellinger for most of the season and without hitting well. That's, that says it all. Yeah, I can't wait for Bellinger to be back. I yeah. feel like June is probably when he'll return. Hopefully soon. Oh, no, I think we'll see him in May for sure. May? I don't yeah. know. It's the stress fractures. The well, it's a hairline fracture. It's, well, yeah. we know. We know. play with those. He could play. He could play. If it was the playoffs, I promised you who'd be in the lineup. Well, we know that the Dodgers are going to take more care of their players than the Padres. Have, exactly. So. <laughs> They'll take their but time. I've had several hairline fractures and it, you can definitely play through it. If it, like I said, if it was the playoffs, you'd see them out there. Okay. I'll take your word for it. I want to give a shout out to in the clutch apparel. They're sending us some awesome merch. So go to intheclutch.com. They have really cool t-shirts, not only for Dodgers, but MLB, NBA, soccer, your city, Los Angeles, up north, all around the U.S. But they have some really cool Dustin May shirts, Trevor Bauer shirts, Mookie Betts shirts, Cody Bellinger, you name it, Kershaw. So yeah, go to In The Clutch. And we're going to start debuting some awesome gear from them in the following week. So stay tuned for that. Support for The Incline is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. April is here, and you know what that means. Baseball is back, baby. So dust off your mitt and cleats this spring and be ready for first pitch. Just like the crew will be mowing their stadium grass, Manscaped products provide the best tools for your own personal grooming experience. That's right, Kevin. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. That's a lot of dudes. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners, though, 20% off plus free shipping using the promo code INCLINE20. Manscaped even hooked us up with a bunch of tools from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. Trust me, as someone who has sensitive skin, the Lawnmower 3.0 with their advanced skin-safe technology provides smooth precision, and it's waterproof to make your shave clean and easy. So guys and ladies who are listening, get 20% off plus free shipping with INCLINE20 at Manscaped.com. Dot com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code INCLINE20. 
So strike out your pubes with the Manscaped this season. Your balls will thank you. Dodgers won round one, but now we have another four-game set between the Padres and the Dodgers, this time at Dodger Stadium. And this time we're joined by the CBS Sports MLB senior social producer and the host of the Wake and Rake podcast. It's Danny Vietti. Danny, how's it going? Welcome to the Incline. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a couple weeks now. Uh, like I told you off air, I apologize about the mistake last week, but I'm glad we could uh, make up for it this week. Of course, and we forgive you. So we know, so we know you have a big Padres following as well as the rest of MLB in general. And we kind of want to get your takeaways from the first go around of this Dodgers Padres series. Obviously, it lived up to the hype. It was some of the most exciting games we saw this season. So, what was your perspective on all that? There was a couple different uh, nuances for me. The the first one being, I think we all got a little cheated just because Belly wasn't out there for, uh, for the Padres. They have their own injuries. Tatis is coming off his injury. I would really just love to see both of these teams at full strength. That said, how many times has that ever happened in Major League Baseball? It seems like somebody's always going to be injured. You know, it's rare that two teams go at it, especially in that big time of a game at their highest strength so I think just personally as exciting as it was I think we all got cheated a little bit just because they weren't at their full strength that said I thought both teams could have walked away from that series thinking glasses half full obviously if you're the Dodgers I mean you're the reigning champs and you just beat a really good Padres team on the road two out of three and you didn't have belly that's pretty impressive right there if you're the Padres and you're trying to take away positives you're thinking look you stole one out of three you stole that last game and Tatis didn't swing the bat well at all. He had one hit all series. He had more errors than he did hits. And um, it, I think just getting that one win was huge just morale-wise. I think if you get swept at home for a series, that's tough to come back from. So I think both teams could walk away with positives. I mean, speaking of getting swept, the Padres just got swept by the Milwaukee Brewers. So I guess they went a little too hard in that Dodger series. So the Dodgers are now 14-4 and four after splitting with the Mariners. The Padres are coming into Dodger Stadium now with a 10-10 and 10 record. And these pitching matchups, they're very familiar. So I'll read them right now for you guys. Game one, Walker Buehler against Ryan Weathers. Game two, Clayton Kershaw against Hugh Darvish. Game three, Trevor Bauer against Blake Snell. And then the final matchup will be Dustin May against Joe Musgrove. So, Jake, David, what are your takeaways from the series and these pitching matchups. I will start off by saying this during the playoffs last year, when the Padres advanced to the division round, I was a little thrown off by how uh, crazy the city of San Diego went. And the three of us had our own takes on how we felt about that. The, the thing that I don't really subscribe to is the Padres fan that, uh, will celebrate something like that, a wild card win to advance to the division round, but then criticize the Dodgers for winning, you know, a fake trophy. So I just don't get that sort of split um, with Padres fans. Um, but I, I think I, I differ from uh, David and Kevin on this one. When I was watching the Padres series, I felt like this is really good for baseball. Like it was such an electric atmosphere at Petco Park. Uh, you had fans who were finally able to, you know, support a Padres team that is, you know, right there in the NLS, uh, arguably 
the Dodgers and the Padres are the top two teams in the majors when fully healthy. So to me, it was, it was a really great thing for, for baseball, for the NL West, because for years, the Dodgers have sort of dominated the NL West, eight straight uh, titles, NL West titles. And so for the Padres, you know, to, to have the offseason that they did, to go out and get the, the guys like Snell and Darvish and Musgrove and really make a run at the Dodgers in the NL West, I was, you know, totally on board with how the atmosphere was uh, at Petco Park for the first series. Yeah, I, I agree with most of most of that. Uh, first off, that series was very, very fun to watch. Uh, the Padres definitely came to play. Uh, it's, it is good for baseball in that sense, for sure. Uh, I really enjoyed the, the pitching performances from both sides. Uh, Kershaw pitched great. Darvish pitched great. Bauer pitched great. Snell pitched okay. And I thought Ryan Weathers did really well. Uh, the pitch count got up on him a little bit. He only made it through three. Most of the time it's bad. Uh, but, and the last thing I'll say to your point about the, uh, the Padres fans, you know, celebrating and acting like it's the World Series. I angered the entire internet of the San Diego Padres fan base this past week. Uh, most of it was in good fun. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll just talk to talk online, you know, it's Twitter, it's whatever, but man, I have never angered a crowd more than I did this past weekend. Uh, and I'm looking forward to doing it again, frankly. Uh, some of them are, are a little overboard, uh, in their responses to me. Uh, but it's all, it's all in good fun on my end. And, and I had a good time online. Uh, I know I made it to the, uh, the uh, Ben and Woods show as, as the uh, dipshit tweet of the week. So I'm, I'm going to put that one on my mantle for sure. Good stuff, David. So yeah, Danny mentioned that Tatis Jr. only had one hit. He went one for 12 in that series with six strikeouts. The one hit was a home run off Walker Bueller. And it doesn't look like Tatis Jr. has looked much better in that Brewer series. So Danny, I was curious, kind of like, do you think the Padres rushed him back too soon? Yeah, uh, it's tough, you know, because one, I'm not a doctor. Two, I don't know how his body's doing. So I'll answer the question, but just, you know, take it with a grain of salt that I don't know what's going on with this body. I think it's going to be – the biggest challenge for him isn't going to be physical right now, even though he is dealing with that shoulder injury. And we had a conversation uh, with Dr. Jesse Morris, who works with uh, sports medicine has been for years and he's worked with professional athletes for years. He told us straight up, he said he needs surgery. If he, it's, he said it, he compared it to Belly's uh, shoulder injury from last year during the playoffs. He said, it's never, it's not going to heal itself. Not going to heal naturally. He needs surgery. But at this point, why get surgery now and end your season of the entire 21 season when you could try and play it out and see what you could do with that shoulder and then come the off season, then have surgery. So I, I get that aspect of it. So, in that regard, if you're going to try and play, I think his big, biggest obstacle isn't going to be physical. It's going to be the mental aspect. Because when you're not going at 100% and you're constantly thinking about that one part of your body that's weighing you down, that's hard to get past. And then now all of a sudden he's having trouble in the field. He was having trouble in the field before he went down with his shoulder injury. So now he's got two other aspects that are you know, feeding through one ear, going out the other, and the other one's going through that ear and going out the other. Those are two aspects he didn't really deal with last year. He didn't deal with shoulder injuries. He didn't deal with fielding issues. He has more fielding errors this year than he did all last year. It's tough. So I think just for him and, and how he's going to be able to overcome it, it's just going to have to be that mental aspect of the game. And unfortunately, that's the biggest challenge in baseball, as it always is. 
That's right. I agree with you there. Um, so Manny Machado, he actually had a huge series against the Dodgers. He ended up going six for 12, two stolen bases, scored four runs, and he continued to get base hits off Trevor Bauer. So I wanted anyone to answer this. Do you think Trevor Bauer is going to make any adjustments? Because Bauer talked this big game like he was going to own Manny Machado, and he has not done it yet. Well, he, he kept him in the park, uh, and that's what he said after the game. So I think, you know, it's all about damage control. Uh, it's no question Machado is one of the most talented hitters in baseball. And with his past success against Bauer, I, I don't know what Bauer can do, honestly. I mean, he, he tried to mix in the, the breaking stuff more than the fastballs. Uh, and at this point, it's just, you know, if you, if you can get him out, you can get him out. But if you keep him in the park, it's a win. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, I'm with you there, David, on that. Um, I think it was uh, Joe Davis during the broadcast told a story about how when Machado was with Baltimore and Bauer was with Cleveland, um, that essentially Machado owns Bauer's fastball. And so each time he threw a fastball, Machado would crush it. And so when you're, when you eliminate the fastball as a hitter, if you can eliminate one pitch, knowing full well that you may not see that pitch and just look for the breaking stuff, it becomes a little bit easier and maybe even more of an advantage but I'll tell you, man, like watching Machado hit, I've, I've never seen a guy hit more singles into the six hole. And, and, it, and it, boggle, it boggles me because I'm like, we have the shift, put, yeah, yeah. you know, put three guys in the six hole and just stand there because he hits singles all the time there. And he got a couple off Bauer in that game. Yeah, I agree. If you're Bauer, you're thinking, one, you kept him in the yard, and two, if Turner's maybe inched over a couple more feet to his left, maybe he makes those plays too. Granted, Machado came into the, this week with the hardest hit percentage in Major League Baseball. It would be a tough play either way because, I mean, those were hit pretty hard to the left side. But if Turner's, you know, have a couple steps to his left, maybe those two are out instead of singles. One of the weirdest phenomenons going on with Blake Snell is just his inability to seem to go past the fifth or past, into the sixth inning. And I feel like as a Padres fan, you paid a big price to get him. You gave up one of the top prospects in Patino. And you need this guy to eventually get into the sixth or seventh inning or else you're going to start burning your bullpen every time he goes out there. So I wanted to ask Danny, are there any concerns with Blake Snell, his longevity? Do you think he will get the mechanics straight so that he can actually be more efficient? Or do you think this is just going to be the trend we see with Blake Snell, a four or five inning pitcher consistently? I think that's who he is. And it's not to say that he can't change his pitching style, but at this point in his career, American League Cy Young a few years ago, it's tough. I, he's a strikeout pitcher. And unfortunately, what I didn't like see, what I didn't like to see in that Dodger Padres series was he's getting a lot of three ball counts. And it, it's fine. If you have high pitch counts and you're just a high pitch count, big strikeout guy, that's fine. If you want to wiggle around after you get him 0-2-1-2. But to start off, guys, 3-1-2-1 every single at bat, that's when you're going to get into trouble. So if you want to go for the strikeout, go for your 10Ks a game, that's fine. You're not going to pitch as deep in the games as your coach probably wants you to, but get ahead of guys. And he didn't do that. So I don't have a concern in regard to, because I the Padres bullpen is plenty fine. Even if he pitches five, six innings, he hasn't pitched into the seventh inning since I believe it's May of 2019. So it's not the end of the world. If he doesn't get to that seventh inning, because I think their bullpen is good enough to finish the job at the same time. You're not going to have too much success starting guys off 2-1-3-1 one, one every single bat, especially like a lineup that is the Dodgers. Danny, if I could follow up with you on, on Blake Snell, um, 
you say that he, you know, that's the type of pitcher he is four or five innings. I, I'm just curious. Why, why is he so shocked every time the manager comes to the mound to take him out? Like, it just seems like he's always frustrated and upset with whether it's Kevin cash or Jace Tingler. Um, we've seen a few uh, shots of Blake Snell kind of, uh, maybe even jarring with Tingler in the, in the dugout. I'm not sure what's going on there, but if, if that's the type of pitcher he is, I, obviously he's a competitor. So, you know, I, I get why he would be frustrated, but you know, does he expect more from himself? I guess. Yeah, it could be both. It could be, I mean, when you're in the moment like that and Grant, I'm not speaking for Blake. I haven't had the conversation with him, but it, what you said, he, one is a competitor. He's not happy with his own performance more than likely, especially like in that game against Pittsburgh, they took him out in the first inning. It was, two-thirds inning, three runs, and three walks. And he had to, he left the game with the bases loaded. And he was frustrated. I will say I actually thought Blake Snell had a case. I would have given him one more hitter. If he walks a runner in with the bases loaded, then you take him out. But right. to me, Blake Snell, you're expecting a lot from him, and you're expecting – you want him to pitch deeper into games. And so when you're taking him out after three runs in the first inning, granted, he pitched terribly up to that point. But I think he earned one more hitter just with the stuff he has. So I think he actually had reason for frustration in that Pittsburgh series. And then obviously everything stems from that World Series too. I mean, just pitching for the race for that long and being taken out before being able to see that third time through the order for so long. I think he all of a sudden gets sent to San Diego and he's like, okay, this is still sustaining itself. This is still happening to me. So I think that's where the frustration is boiling from. It's really just leftovers that he never really was outspoken with Tampa Bay and now he's with San Diego and it's still happening. And so maybe he's being a little bit more uh, charismatic on the mound. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with, I'm with you guys on that. I, I like to see that attitude from a pitcher. I'd much rather see, you know, frustration after being pulled or having a poor outing uh, rather than being complacent and looking like, Oh, well, Oh, well. Uh, so I, you know, I think Blake Snell gets a bad rap for that. I think he has a, he has a case pretty much every time. Uh, granted he's, he should try to, you know, pitch deeper into games, but at the same time, you look at the Dodgers lineup, they're leading the MLB and pitches seen this year. Uh, the Padres are second, uh, but this Dodgers lineup is patient and they're relentless. So any pitcher getting into the seventh inning against the Dodgers, uh, is a huge accomplishment this year. Uh, so look, I think Snell's going to be fine. I think if they get five clean innings, five and a half clean innings out of him, I think they're going to take that as a win. Right, I had another question. So I, I think the three of us here have kind of noticed that the, the bad MLB umpires seem to be following the Dodgers wherever they're, they're playing. And I felt like they were especially atrocious in this Dodgers Padres series for both sides. I'll be, I'll be honest. There was one game where I think the Padres were rewarded a run technically, but they still got shut out that two nothing game. But I wanted your takeaways, Danny, do you think the umpires their qualities diminishing or do you think they're just rusty yeah my personal opinion is i think it's the same as it's always been however we're seeing the opportunity for robot umpires getting closer and closer you know that whole uh you know things in the rearview mirror appear closer or whatever that phrase yeah. is i think it's one of those type things where we can start to see it getting larger and larger and uh, it's a larger possibility every single time and so more and more people are kind of jumping on a bandwagon I think umpires are as good or as bad as they've always been. I will say in that series, Phil, I think it was Phil Cuzzy that had the game with Profar and Kershaw when they were drawn back. That was a horrible, horrible call. The fact that I'm not going to 
I'm not going to comment on Profar and what his decision-making was. I will say the point of the rule, I don't blame Profar necessarily or Kershaw or any of the players. I blame the rule itself because the rule is supposed to help hitters. They're trying to swing a bat. And if the catcher's glove obstructs the swing, then you get a path to first base. But he swung after the ball hit the mitt. Yeah. So it completely negates the rule. The rule doesn't apply here. And the fact that they gave Profar that base is ridiculous. So to answer your question, I think umpires are just as bad or just as good as they've always been. Uh, that said, that series, it, it was not good. For all those three games, their zones were pretty bad and inconsistent all series long. So are you a, uh, a robot ump guy or are you a, you know, a in-person ump guy? I've gone back and forth. I'm still in favor of the human aspect. That said, yeah. I believe there, each team should have two pitches that they can challenge on. What I don't want to have happen is two-minute delays for each challenge. It should be a guide. It should be based on the K-Zone. It should be, hey, do you want to, uh, you know, hypothetically, Dave Roberts wants to challenge this pitch. They look at K-Zone. It's a strike on K-Zone. Boom. Continue the game. Like, it shouldn't be this one-minute, two-minute delay. It should be the umpire looks up at the booth, booth gives him a thumbs up or thumbs down for a striker ball. That's my opinion. Yeah, just like in tennis. I mean, how quickly do we get the feedback from that if the ball hit the line or not? But I agree with you. I think it, I think it's as bad as it's always been. But what has what has become increasingly more obvious is the spotlight on it. Like every broadcast now has a K zone. It used to be where like ESPN, it was like a special thing and they would only have it up for like certain at bats or whatever. But now it's up there the entire time. Not only that, you've got, you know, Twitter accounts out there that are specifically, you know, focused on tracking umpires and their accuracy. So I just think that, you know, we're just noticing how bad it is more now than we've, than we've ever had. Yeah. I mean, I I have the same viewpoint I've had on here for the last year. It's, I'm not in, I'm not in favor of robot umpires. I'm really not. I'm in favor of just getting better umpires. It, it blows my mind how some of these guys are still umpiring games. I mean, that performance in that series all around was abysmal. I've never heard a broadcasting crew. I was listening to the Dodgers broadcast, obviously. But Joe Davis and Oral Hershiser, every inning, were commenting, oh, my God, that was awful. Like, every pitch. And I've never seen that. Uh, I, I think it is amplified a little bit this year, but I mean, these guys need to tighten it up. They, they really need to tighten it up. Yeah. There needs to be more turnover. Like I've said before, this is yeah. like, you know, Supreme court justices, they just, they never go away. They're just, the, once you're in the majors, you go there until you basically are carted off the field. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I wanted everyone's takeaways from that first game of the series where the Dodgers ended up winning an extra innings, 11 to six. I want to know, first of all, answer this. Was it the game of the year thus far in MLB? And then second, just follow up with like a couple takeaways from that game because there was a lot of exciting moments. Yeah, I, I think maybe not that game is the best game. Of the year. I mean, to this point, sure, because we're only, what, three weeks, four weeks into the season. It's yeah. not saying much. Who knows what happens down the line here? Uh, but that series, I mean, it's going to be the definitely the series of the year. I don't, it's going to be really hard to top the tension back and forth. And whether you think it's a rivalry or not, it's got to start somewhere. And I personally have always been in favor of, like, I understand the Dodgers and Giants have been rivals for so long. And I understand there's history between two sides. To me, I like watching a series that has more current relevancy and current tension relevancy, as opposed to, well, the Giants and Dodgers were rivals back in New York 50, 60, 80 years ago. 
Like, I don't care about that. I want to watch guys that hate each other right now. I want to watch guys like uh, anyone that, you know, takes exception to whatever happens, you know, like last year with the Trent Grisham, Dave Roberts banter. Like, I want to see that. I don't care what that, you know, Pete Rose got hit intentionally 60 years ago or whatever it was. Like, I care about what's happening right now. Yeah, that was a great game. And there were a few moments there at the end where you had guys like Dennis Santana and David Price walking a tightrope and getting out of jams. And the, it, it seems like the Padres um, threatened to score a lot and then can't get that extra hit or sack fly or fielder's choice ground out something to get the run in. And so I just thought it was an amazing job by the, the Dodgers bullpen. I mean, the, the, the Padres bullpen's great too. And they were good up until a point until the end there, but Man, there, there was some real, I mean, that was high drama, high, high drama. I, I agree with Danny. Uh, you know, this, this, this rivalry or whatever you want to call it may not have the historical significance or the, or the history of the Dodgers Giants. Uh, but in terms of today's game, it, it, it definitely does. Uh, these two teams don't like each other. It's very clear that these two teams do not like each other. Uh, you know, you saw Mateo take exception to Santana hitting him, even though that was absolutely not intentional. Uh, obviously, last year with the Gratterall hat flip and waving goodbye and the whole scrum there. Uh, so that's fun. It's fun to see Kershaw yelling at Profar. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited that we got, I think it's, what is it, 16 more games of uh, this series for the rest of the year? And look, as, as you can see on my shirt, I'm a Michigan guy. Obviously, the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry is is a rivalry, but we haven't beat them in football in eight years, eight or nine years. That doesn't mean the good old-fashioned hate between the two is any less fun. Uh, and I think that's what this is in this rivalry, uh, regardless if the Padres you know, aren't necessarily on top right now, obviously getting swept in the NLDS, losing this past series. Uh, so it's still going to be a, a fun time regardless of the result. Yeah, actually, the Kershaw-Darvish game was the top game for me. I live for pitchers' duels, and that totally lived up to the hype. I mean, Kershaw went six scoreless, struck out eight Padres, only allowed two hits. And then you, Darvish, went seven strong, struck out nine Dodgers. And the one run he gave up was to Kershaw, a bases-loaded walk. So that was crazy how Darvish kind of lost command there. But they both had great games, and then it came down to Mookie Betts making the 10% probability catch to shatter the Padres' hopes and dreams. That was definitely the catch of the year for me thus far. I don't know how he was able to get that ball, but he's Superman out there. And what's funny to me is, is Cody Bellinger makes that catch too, for the record. Uh, so this, you know, once Bellinger comes back and you put Taylor in left field, Dodgers outfield is the no-fly zone again. Yeah, that catch, when I, when I saw it live, I thought, Oh my God, he dropped it. Like it, you know, it was a trap or something. And then just to see his reaction, he knew it. He knew it. The ball didn't touch the ground, just an unbelievable game saving catch. And I, I made a point on Twitter where it's, it's sort of like the Dodgers and Padres in, you know, walk off defensive plays. Remember last year with Chris Taylor um, throwing out uh, Trent Grisham at the plate to end the game, a seven, two double play. Um, it's just, I mean, when you, I mean, the traditional walk-off is, is, is exciting as well, but when you get defensive walk-offs, that's, you know, that's next level for me. Well, it's so remarkable to me was 
the trajectory of the hit because that's the most difficult ball to play on if you're an outfielder. I was never an outfielder. I was a pitcher, but I played a little bit of outfield in like high school and I talk with different I talk with a couple different players after the Mookie catch to kind of get their perspectives. And they told me they're like, the fact that he got that good of a read off that ball, that ball was missile the center field. He could have taken a step backwards. He could have taken a step forward or to his right. Like it's very easy to misread that ball. He knew exactly where that ball was going to be as soon as it was hit off the bat. That was what was most impressive. And then the cool thing too, I think was the respect that Mookie Betts has around the baseball world, because there was somebody who put this out on Twitter that said, did Mookie really catch that ball? I think they were kind of reaching for something because they were hoping the Padres would win. And all the comments were like, Mookie caught that ball. Mookie meant that. Because people know the athleticism and the respect this guy deserves. And so everybody was like, Mookie caught that ball because he's Mookie best. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything you guys wanted to also bring up in this upcoming series that maybe some keys or – adjustments either side makes definitely want to hear what you guys have to say about that i wonder if the atmosphere will be different at dodger stadium versus petco park i mean you certainly have the sort of excitement anticipation maybe even a little desperation from padres fans that that anxiousness of wanting to to sort of beat the big brother and take down the take down goliath and the Dodgers coming off a you know World Series win, you know, will will the fans be more laid back? Will they not be as intense? I hope not. I mean, I'm really hoping that the Dodgers come with the Dodgers fans come with the same intensity that the Padres fans do, because as we saw last year, it was, you know, it was dead without fans. I mean, you think you think about watching a game on TV without fans. I thought watching last year. Like, oh, what's the difference, right? We're watching baseball on TV, but it really makes a difference. And you only really realize what what a difference it makes until you don't have it and then you get it back again and you have that low hum throughout the whole game or just the just the excitement at each at bat, the fans screaming and they don't have that, you know, artificial piped in crap noise that they were blaring throughout the playoffs and throughout the season. So I hope that it's going to be as intense. I, I, I but my, my, my initial take is that it may, it may not have that same intensity that Petco Park had. Yeah, I, I, I think it will. Uh, I don't know if it'll be, you know, quite like the, the first inning of that first game of the series at Petco, where that legitimately felt like a elimination playoff game. Uh, because as of last year, you know, the Dodgers fans have won the World Series. So I think as a collective fan base, I think that just makes everybody take a deep breath of sorts. And that doesn't mean they're not going to be excited. That doesn't mean they're not going to be loud. It's just not as, you know, anxiety filled and, and every game. Yeah, exactly. It's not every game is, has the same meaning. And that's, you know, that's not to discredit any other fan base or, or the Dodgers fan base. I think that's just for me, at least every other game isn't quite the same as what it was last year, at least for this year. Yeah, it's your point. The Dodgers have had that monkey on their back for years of not yeah. being able to come through with a World Series. At the end of the day, a series against San Diego, who haven't beaten you in years, is it really held that much weight? Probably, like, hypothetically, let's say San Diego takes two or three. Is it really that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things? Not really. Right. So, to your point, I think Dodger fans have, you know, Dodgers players really have kind of earned some wiggle room here. 
And with San Diego, by the way, if you're talking about like what adjustments they need to make, they actually had more than 10 more opportunities with runners in scoring position in the last series. They just didn't catch in. They were terrible with two outs and runners in scoring position or no outs with runners in scoring position. They hit 200 in that series. On the, other, on the flip side, the Dodgers hit 260, which isn't astronomically great, but it's a lot better than what San Diego is able to provide. So neither team hit the ball well. But Los Angeles cashed in on their opportunities a lot more than San Diego did. So I'm curious to see, especially with a team like the Padres right now, they're struggling against good pitching. They've done a good job. So like against Arizona, they took three or four. Uh, they've done a good job against below average pitching. But the last series against the Dodgers, it was Bueller, Kershaw, Bauer. Those are three really tough pitchers. Not many guys hit those. After that, it was Wood, uh, Wood, uh, shoot, um, Corbin Burns and uh, yeah. Brandon Woodruff. Woodruff. Yeah. Yeah. I was drawing a blank on Woodruff, of yeah. course. Uh, guy's been slept on for years. Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns. They're really struggling against good arms right now. And you're not going to get a break with the Dodgers rotation either. And if they want to make any type of noise in the playoffs, they're going to have to hit good pitching. That's a great point. The thing I'm, I'm very interested in is these teams just – the first three matchups are all repeats. So and these, these hitters just saw these pitchers on both sides. So I'm interested to see how, you know, both sides' hitters react to that. Obviously, getting a second look at a pitcher is going to be, in theory, a little bit easier than the first look. So I think, you know, whoever capitalizes on, the, you know, the prior at-bats and, and making adjustments – uh, when they failed in the, in those first at bats, I think is going to, it's going to come out on top in, in each individual game. So let's use the final few minutes here, Danny, I wanted to get your thoughts on anything else around major league baseball in general that stood out to you, whether it's players, teams, a weird rule, whatever. I honestly, I mean, this is kind of the obvious one. It's just how nice it is. And you touched on it. This, I think we all touched on it already. It's just the fact that fans are back in the stands and, all the players for years have talked about how we don't listen to the fans. We block it out, clear the mechanism, blah, blah, blah. Man, they feed off it. And as a fan, too, to be back in the stands, I haven't had the opportunity to get out to a regular season yet. Uh, regular season game, I was able to make it out to spring training, which was delightful. But just that aspect has been missing. And there's certain – there's different aspects of the game that I think we all miss, but we completely forgot that it was even part of the game. So, like, the crowd noises, the different – um, interactions between player and fans, like something as simple as Mike Trout out in the outfield in Kansas City. There was this Los Angeles Angels fan that was, it was, a, it was a little kid. It was cheering him on all game long. And Mike Trout is the end of the game. The game ended on a strikeout. It wasn't as if it was the game ball that he threw up to him. Mike Trout went over to that fan and gave him his batting gloves. And I, I, that's what we miss. That's what I miss. I miss seeing the interaction between fan and player. I think that's just been really great to see. It's something I really missed. As a fan, I really miss seeing that in baseball for the past year and a half. Yeah, and it's we saw what happened, similar interaction with uh, Freddie Freeman and a, uh, a Phillies fan uh, who, I forget if he caught the home run ball or his dad caught the home run ball, but the kid ended up giving it to a, a younger kid, uh, and then Freddie Freeman had him uh, come by the next day and, and meet him on the field, which is very cool. So I, I agree. It's great to see. Uh, and for, for my, you know, big thing around Major League Baseball, I'm just super thrilled to see all these young stars, uh, you know, finally coming out like Acuna, Bryce Harper's having a, a great year and just uh, Soto just landed on the DL. But Soto, Otani has been exciting to watch. All these, you know, up and coming guys are basically all having good years and, you know, they're all fun to watch. And that's been my one thing. 
Yeah, my my one thing is is just um, watching teams that you wouldn't normally expect to be successful so far that have had early success, like the Seattle Mariners. Um, and then there are teams out there that, you know, Boston looked like it was about to have another abysmal season and then they turned it around and, and ripped off like seven, eight in a row. Um, the A's just won an insane game. They've, they've won 11 in a row after they looked just awful against the Dodgers. It looked like that they had no business uh, being on a major league field. Um, just these, these teams that have, that have been able to rally around. And it just goes to show you that, you know, when you have a full 162, let's, you know, pump the brakes and allow for teams to kind of iron things out. Of course, last year it was a sprint 60 games. If you started out with, you know, a bad record, it was hard to turn things around, but because there are so many games and so many opportunities to turn things around, it's been nice to see uh, some of these teams, right? The ship. And then for teams like the Yankees, like, you know, like, you know, everyone had the, them, you know, being the, the, the class of the American league and they've, and they've really struggled, not only starting pitching, but offense. And so th- those are storylines that, that, that I've been following so far this season. David, do you want to ask Danny about Chris Paddock? <laughs> oh yeah. So what, what's, what's going on with this guy? Uh, you know, we saw him pitch very well in 2019 and you know, there were com- early comparisons, obviously premature of, you know, he's going to be the next big thing. He's their Kershaw. He's, he's whatever. Uh, and, you know, after basically 2019, he doesn't look like the same pitcher. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, you know, depends how you look at his outing yesterday. You know, it was only one earned run, but five runs came across. Uh, you know, he's, he pitched, I think it was five innings and three runs against the Pirates. Uh, but he just doesn't look like he has confidence there. I, I'm just wondering what your take is on, on this guy and, and how he can, how he can write the ship. Yeah, he's been uh, a curious case. That's for sure. And I, when I take a deeper dive on his numbers and why he's struggling, it just comes down to the simplest fastball command. His changeup hitters are hitting below the Mendoza line. His mm-hmm. fastball, they're crushing. And then when you look at his hot zones too on StatCast, his fastball, his changeup typically stays below the zone, but he can actually get away with bad changeup because it's that nasty. But with this fastball, it's very straight. It's very flat. And so when he leaves it over the zone, it gets crushed. And not to mention his breaking ball is not always there. He's always been at like a two-pitch pitcher. And then that breaking ball is kind of finding its way. And it's good sometimes, but you need to be able to have two really strong pitches. If you, when you're throwing that hard and you're, you know, you're that dominant. You need to have two really good pitches. Yeah. If you have a third one, great. But you need two that's going to be there day in and day, and day out. And it hasn't been the case. He typically has his changeup most days, but his fastball is really over the plate. It's been over the plate for the past two seasons. Anyone that says that he's the next Clayton Kershaw needs to pipe down a little bit. Nope, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, uh, that's right. But really, it just comes down to fastball location and fastball command. It just has not been there. Yeah. Well, it looks like they're going to need him to, to figure that out soon with uh, Morahone and, and, and looks like Lamech going to be out for a while. So we'll see. That's right. Well, we got this exciting four-game series coming up. Dodgers, Padres should be a battle. Should I want to see more benches clear. That's what I live for as well. Danny, thank you so much for coming on the incline. Hope you have a great rest of your MLB season. We look forward to all the content you're about to pump out. We appreciate it. Yeah, Jake, David, Kevin, I appreciate having me on, man. This is fun. Let's do it again.
Thanks, Definitely. Danny. Appreciate awesome. it. Yes. If there's any final thoughts you have, Danny, shout them out now. No, nah, man, this is fun. I enjoy like you mentioned I have a big Padres following, which was completely unintentional. So it's nice to actually interact with Dodger fans for once. This has been cool. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Sweet. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Incline. The Dodgers taking on the Padres for what should be an exciting four-game series. And of course, we'll recap that all next week as well and preview whatever's coming up on the Dodgers slate. So make sure to subscribe to us if you're not already and follow us on social media. You can find that in the description below. But hope you guys all have some fun baseball ahead and have a great week. We're out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.